This is a shock podcast. Shock. Hamilton to Ferrari. Ooh. That's interesting. Will it happen? Thoughts? I, I doubt it. Uh, he's a diehard Silverado boy, isn't he? Yeah. Forty million pounds. 40 he doesn't, he million doesn't pounds need off. the money. You reckon? He doesn't need the money. <laughs> <laughs> Buy a few more cars. Yeah. <laughs> you know. Hello and welcome to Suited and Booted, a Formula One podcast where we talk about all things Formula One from a racing driver's perspective. My name is Daniel Woodruff, your host, a former professional racing driver. And also in the studio, we have a few more professional racing drivers. We've got Mr. Wei Rontan. Hello. Thank you very much. And we have Mr. Jasmine Jafar. Hello, everyone. How are you guys doing? Very good, Dan. Very good to be here on our first ever episode of Suited and Booted. Why should people listen to Suited and Booted? Well, I'm just going to chime in really quickly. And that's, I'm going to say it's because we are all professional racing drivers, or at least were in my case, big, big sad. Um, so we're going to be able to provide a different perspective on all of the things that you see happening in F1. I think a driver's view is sometimes missing from a lot of the kind of things in the news cycle. So we'll be able to kind of come in with that behind the scenes perspective. Uh, just to give a little bit of an intro to all of our listeners, gents, why don't we walk through uh, some of our racing experience just to kind of prove that you guys know what you're talking about. Jazz, let's start with you. I know F1's on there. It's been quite a journey coming up the ranks from doing karting, did Formula BMW, British Formula 3, uh, rose the ranks in doing Renault World Series and was part of the development program with um, Mercedes AMG Petronas. So I was there about four years, tested the Formula 1 car in seven occasions before I did the World Endurance Championship. So enjoyed the journey that I that I was there and uh, still keep in touch with some of my F1 friends and, and partners in there so it's been good and I, I, I can't wait to share the show of the insights of the paddock gossips as well what about you Ron? yeah likewise um Oh, I think as most racing drivers do, we all started from go-karting, uh, moved up the ranks, did Formula Renault in the UK, was part of the, when we had the KTRM F1 uh, junior development program, did quite a lot of simulator work with them, really good stuff, uh, learned a lot, did Formula 3, went over to the US, did some some oval racing, that was quite fun, and uh, joined Jazz in doing the World Endurance Championship back in 2018, that was good times, and then GT racing with, with Audi before the pandemic hit, so haven't been actively racing for a while now, but would love to share some inside gossip. Oh, I know the feeling. So I think just like you guys, I started off in carts myself, moved up to Formula BMW, and then ultimately ended in F3. So I don't really have Le Mans or uh, F1 experience. I'm a little bit jealous, but I think we're all collectively still in the motorsports space. Anyway, enough rambling about how experienced we are. <laughs> <laughs> Let's talk about the season so far. So we have just wrapped up Spain, which is round eight or round seven, because uh, I know Imola didn't happen. Let's have a little bit of a refresher, shall we? Uh, let's do a really quick rapid fire recap. Uh, Ron, I think you're going to take the honors for this one. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we started a bit late. Um, we've had um, seven rounds so far. So what happened in the last seven rounds? First of all, Imola was cancelled, unfortunately. Red Bull has won seven out of seven races. Very, very impressive. Alonso has scored five podiums, which I think they are the next best manufacturer for Aston Martin. He's currently third in the championship. Ferrari 
surprisingly, only scored one podium so far. The clan Carlos Sainz not performing so well. Bit a bit to talk about later. Alpine surprisingly scored a podium in Monaco. Where did their performance come from? And lastly, Mercedes finally got their pace back together, putting real side pods on. Scored second and third in Spain. So let's see what happens for Montreal. Okay, and I was going to go through each one one by one, but just looking at this summary of every single race, it really is just Max, 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 Max. A couple of Perez's thrown in there. And of course, a very strong showing by Alonso. So I think like many people, we can talk about the dominance of Red Bull, but I'm just going to be very honest. I think that's pretty boring. I'm going to throw it in there. I'm going to say Max is going to win the championship. I don't know if that's controversial or not. Uh, Adrian, I, you will win the championship. Adrian, yeah, Adrian is going to win the championship. I, uh, I might be jinxing it. It might be the commentator's curse. I hope so, because that might make it a little bit more interesting. But enough about Max. Let's talk about more spicy topics and some of the more struggling experiences that other drivers on the grid are going through. Let's start with Perez. I know we were talking about Red Bull dominance. Uh, it really is a Max Verstappen dominance. Perez very much living in Max's shadow. A few not so good showings throughout the season. I think he, he had that crash and qualifying in Monaco. He went wide in Q2 in Barcelona. So all of this affecting his confidence and his championship chances. But Jazz, do you think he even had a chance at winning the championship against Max? He's shown some surprisingly true raw speed. Coming to the races, there were talks about him leading the charge and, you know, wanting him to fight for the championship. I think the rivalry is also healthy for the team to drive that team forward in the development, uh, having the competitive edge uh, amongst other teams. But this errors is costing the team a lot of points, uh, a lot of uh, performance setbacks and etc. It's also pressure, uh, Dan, because if you look at fighting with someone like Max for the championship is really heavy pressure. And you're going to about 23 Grand Prix every weekend trying to be on top of the game with this guy. So definitely confidence has been affecting his mental side and, and you can see the errors coming into every race. So two races are, are already in the bin and, and uh, he needs to bounce back in Canada if he wants that championship chances. Do you reckon his performance has been poor enough to actually get the axe from Red Bull? We know how cutthroat they are. Well, th this is surprising to me because, you know, as all teams go, they always have their first and second drivers, except Ferrari, right? They've got two first drivers. You know, Paris has always been very stable. You know, he knows he's a very good backup to Max. He knows his plays in Red Bull. Do you think he's under severe pressure, either from himself trying to challenge Max or from Red Bull trying to do even better from what he's already doing? Because, you know, he won in Azerbaijan. He's uh, had several podium finishes. Why, after Im uh, you know Imola being cancelled, going into Monaco, he... Yeah, crash and qualifying, ran wide in, in Q2, again in, in Barcelona. What kind of pressure do you think he's, he's facing? Self-inflicted or coming from Red Bull? I, th I think it's everything. I think, I think pressure from Red Bull is going to exist for the rest of Red Bull's existence, right? At least with the current top management structure, we know what they're like. Every single driver in the Red Bull supply chain, you know, whether you're being fed from the junior program all the way to actually being in the F1 team, you know that you are disposable, except Max. I know Max has that mm -hmm. almost godlike confidence where he knows he's going to stay. They want him, but everybody else is disposable. Mm -hmm. So that's obviously external, but internally, I mean, 
come on, guys, like from a racing driver's perspective, you all you know that your biggest competition is your teammate. I think this is very much like Bottas and Hamilton, yeah, right? Mm-hmm. That's there right. are some tracks where Bottas might have been better than Hamilton. And it's definitely the case for Perez as well. But at the end of the day, mm. I think he knows he's not as good as Max. I think the world knows. And I think, you know, when you are a racing driver as well, as delusionally confident as you have to be to be in F1, and we know a lot of racing drivers in F1, right? We know how crazy delusional they definitely, are, right? Yeah. I think yeah. any top performing athlete genuinely believes they are God's greatest gift to the earth. And that's what you need to be a top performing athlete. But I think when you have that confidence and then you're getting completely whooped by someone like Max, I think he's going through some sort of like existential crisis and he's, it's a, it's a slippery slope. It's painful. It's painful, Ben. Yeah. I think it's painful. Number one, Red Bull is the leading team and you are thrown in to be with the leading team. So you have to follow certain structure. You have to follow certain disciplines to nail that dominance. And unfortunately, fortunately, Max is the one that is ticking the boxes. You've got to follow Max's lead at some point. Yeah, exactly. So I think Max is going to continue in his stride. Perez is unfortunately just going to continue being in, sh- in his shadow. I have no doubt that there may be one or two showings where he just pips slightly ahead, uh, but I think this will be the status quo for the rest of the season or the rest of their tenor together as teammates. But on the topic of Red Bull, let's talk about the Red Bull family, specifically with Nick DeVries, right? I know yeah. this is a, a topic that at least I feel very passionately about. There's a lot of conversation right now of DeVries getting the boot this summer, right? I know it's not confirmed, but some people are saying he's not performing as amazingly as he was hyped up to. I mean, the kid's won everything he's raced in, right? Every yeah. category, yeah. Almost every category. Yeah, so what? He's, he's won in F3, F2. He's won in Formula E. So he's an amazing driver. And, and I want to make very, very clear. DeVries is a legend, right? So for those that actually follow junior racing series, particularly in karting, DeVries is a multiple world champion, European champion, everything champion. He's one of the greatest karters ever. And I, I know I'm going to be making that claim personally. No, absolutely. But he, he is. 100%. I mean, we grew up watching him go-kart until where he is today. Undoubtedly, he's, you know, performed at every level. Um, he's got all the results to prove it. But yes, it is strange. Why is he not performing now at the at the peak of, of uh, motorsports, Formula 1? It is a question. Jazz, maybe you can share some insights on that. I mean, you've tested Formula 1 cars before. How different is it making that jump from just one tier down? It's very difficult. You see the pressure to perform is is one element. But I remember growing up with Nick. Nick is a driver that even though he has the package, he takes time to develop to get there. I think he's one of the developing drivers that needs more mileage to adapt himself into a situation um, that he can be competitive. It happened before in Formula 3, it happened before in Red World Series. He was struggling the first 3-4 rounds but he has his mental ability to stay strong and fight for the remainder of the season in which he was ninth in the championship that he ended up 3rd in the championship in Red World Series. It happened again in, uh, in uh, Formula 2, completely off the pace in one of the top teams with ART and he won the championship. So jumping into Formula E, if I'm not mistaken, he won it on his third attempt or second attempt uh, with Mercedes at the time, Mercedes Formula E team. It takes time. It takes time to settle in. But Formula 1 doesn't wait for you. The thing about Formula 1 is you don't go to Formula 1 wanting to be developed. You have to be going to Formula 1 ready, ready to prove what you can deliver. And the next big thing is for him to be in a Red Bull seat. But unfortunately, he's not proving himself in the Alfa Tori seat. Yeah, frankly, he just doesn't have much time left. And, and beyond 
just being a spectacular driver, the reality of F1 is you need to be bringing a ridiculous amount of funding or you need to be incredibly marketable to a new region, right? So let's talk about Joe, for example, right? He can afford to not be as strong of a driver and take his sweet time because he's Chinese, right? And we know Formula One is trying to appeal to a completely new audience with over a billion people. So he takes the box there. He brings with him a huge amount of funding. I, I don't think that's the case for DeVries. I mean, the European audience is very, very mature. Is he bringing much funding? Do you guys know? Uh, I don't think so. I think at his caliber, he's getting professionally paid mm. um, after being multiple world champions, like you said earlier. And jumping into that seat is, is, I mean, you're part of the Red Bull family, right? So it can only be a good deal for him to, to jump into that seat. Okay, well then before I move on from this topic, I'm going to get your guys' polls now. Is he going to get booted at the end of the season? We'll revisit this later on and I'm going to, we, we can place a bet later. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think we'll. I think, you know, when you touch on Joe, um, this is his second year in Formula 1. His first year, as every rookie's goal, like Piastri as well, not doing so well this year. Logan Sargent, same with DeVries. I think they just need one year to acclimatize to the whole environment, being under that, you know, a different kind of pressure. And as you can see, Joe's performing really well this year compared to Bottas. So I think other teams will understand if they're not in a rush to, to replace a driver. I think he'll get a second chance. But if there happens to be, let's say, like Liam Lawson knocking on the door, uh, who's performing extremely well, then we might see a, a shuffle shuffle in the driver lineup. That's the tough bit, guys. You know, the next batch of drivers that Red Bull has. I mean, Ayumu Iwasa, Liam Lawson, um, Zane Mahoney. I mm -hmm. mean, these guys are front runners in the feeder categories. And you can't discount them. It's an ultimatum to Red Bull, to be honest. But, but that being said, so were these guys. <laughs> so, you know, <laughs> it, it might just go, go around in a circle, like replacing drivers with new champions, but then finding out those champions are going to struggle as well in their first year. I, will, I mean, that, that's what Red Bull does, right? I mean, they've done it time and time again. We've seen champion after champion come in. And if you just don't perform after a couple of races, I mean... You get the boot, right? They've yeah. been savage. Yeah. Mid-season as well. Yeah. You know, yeah. We, we, we can see what, what, what they've done in the past. If he does get the boot, where would you go? I mean, I know there's, there's a lot of, of chatter of, of other movements going around. Hamilton to Ferrari. Ooh. That's interesting. Big money. Will it happen? Thoughts? I, I doubt it. I doubt it. Uh, he's a diehard Silver Arrow boy, isn't he? Yeah. Forty million pounds. 40 he million he doesn't pounds need off. the money. You reckon? He doesn't need the money. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I don't know. I mean, I, buy a few more cars. <laughs> yeah. You know. I reckon Ferrari needs someone like Lewis. Yeah. Ferrari needs a lot of people. I mean, I think they need a new strategy department as well. They, they have a tendency to fix something that's not broken. For example, their side pod. You know, it's been working <laughs> well all season. All of a sudden, they, they decided, no, nah, we're just going to change, try something new. And performance hasn't been really good. Well, speaking of poor performance from Ferrari, let's talk about Leclerc, particularly off the back of Barcelona more, more recently. The word undrivable comes out of Leclerc's mouth a lot. I can appreciate, again, Leclerc is a champion. He's very, very good. But is this problem now a driver issue? Is it a team issue? What's what's going on with Ferrari? It looks like as though the top management, the actual core team and the driver, there's a missing link there. Like the bridging between all three seems to be very disconnected. And I keep hearing about Ferrari having strategy that is plan C, plan D, plan E, plan F. I mean, wow. Yeah, I can't keep up. It's I don't a, think Leclerc can keep up either yeah, when he's driving. <laughs> whatever it is, a 60 lap race and you have plan F. I mean, there's so much calculations you can do. There's so much calculations beyond my brains that I can do. But having said that, 
I think things got to be a bit more streamlined, right? Things got to be a bit more simpler. They have Fred Vasso at the helm. Fred um, is one of the most experienced guys in junior categories. Rand Leclerc at Sauber, Alfa Romeo Sauber in his uh, first year of Formula 1. And he knows what Leclerc needs. They need the missing ingredients to stew the right package. Yeah, you know? yeah you're right. I mean, he's... He brought up a lot of current F1 drivers as well, right? From the likes of Lewis Hamilton as well. Yep. Yeah, he does know he does know the driver market very well. Let's let's assume it takes another six months for him to kind of sort out the management side of things. But at the end of the day, are we talking about a, a car issue? Because like, again, Leclerc is one of the best on the grid, undoubtedly so. Mm-hmm. You've got an incredible driver that's just struggling to get to grips with a car. I mean, it's incredibly frustrating. So, is it a car driver? Or is it, sorry, is it a car issue or is it a driver issue? I think the car looks competitive but it's just very difficult to try you know to extract and Sainz and Leclerc is one of the best lineups on the grid I mean hands down right alongside Red Bull Mercedes and the others they've got the strong strikers but having said that if the car is so difficult to drive across from Monaco to to Barcelona for example right or even if you go to the Middle East countries where the tyre dags a lot more heavier you can't drive it you can't drive it mm-hmm. you know if it's pur- mm-hmm. purposing everywhere and if it's having to slide the oversteer everywhere you can't drive it so having to go through the whole Grand Prix that bringing you down forget it Um, I think that's why what you said earlier Dan the word undrivable comes to almost every Grand Prix. How long is Leclerc going to stay? And I think this is this is really where I want to get a driver's perspective. I would say Ricardo's really beating himself up over his choice of teams over the last few years, right? I, I think trying to play the driver and team market is like a game of chess. You want to get the best car, but you also want to be treated as the number one driver in your team, right? So do you give up a more competitive car for a more competitive position in the team? For Leclerc, is he realistic going to be considering another team or will he know that Ferrari will eventually pull it out of the bag in the next one to two seasons or is that too long to wait? He signed a long-term contract. Um, that's a commitment he's given to Ferrari. But at the end of the day, in Formula 1, a contract is just a piece of paper, right? If he has a better offer and he can fight for the championship at his peak, at his age now, he's going to leave. There's no time to waste and no time to wait. And Leclerc is a caliber of... Dr- is, he's a world champion material. You know, you've seen him win races at Toughest occasion, he's gone from the back of the grid in Formula 2 and won the race in Bahrain, even having to do a pit stop. He can deliver, but who is chasing who? Is he chasing the team or the team is chasing him? Yeah, I'd love to see him win a Formula 1 World Championship. And I think he will, um, with a little bit of luck. I think he has, a little bit? He needs a new car. You know, he has everything going for him in terms of what he has, like capability-wise. As you mentioned, he's won everything, you know, from, from junior racing. There's no reason why he can't win a Formula 1 World Championship. I think he has it mentally as well. And he's the best-looking driver by far on the grid. <laughs> that is... Okay, so like as much as people joke about that, it is a massive, massive component of his package. Yes. Right, yeah. he's the most sellable um, driver. I think, hundred percent, hundred percent. He's like, he's he's the only driver that's followed by every single girl I know on Instagram. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, you I sound, mean, you sound a bit jealous, then. Uh, no, a hundred percent. I'm I'm there liking everything before any other female can. So, <laughs> how long has he signed with Ferrari again? You got to refresh my memory. He signed a five year deal. I think he's on his third now. Okay, um, probably got about two years to go. So this is the thing, right? Drivers are going to start to get itchy feet. They're going to 
feel like they need something new. They're going to need something a little bit more competitive. But age isn't everything. I mean, let's talk about Alonso, a man that has won world championships back when I was almost an embryo. Um, <laughs> and he's still on the grid now. And he's he's almost winning. I mean, we know Alonso always has the best starts. He's still doing that. He hasn't got old man reflexes just yet. Alonso, if you were listening to this, I'm, uh, no offense. He's still at the peak of his game, right? So Leclerc does have time, but Alonso just, I've got my notes here. The only word I put down is the word wow. Yeah. So that, 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 that's my input on Alonso. Do you guys want to chip in? <laughs> I mean, you're right, Dan. Wow is the right description of this double world champion. Can you imagine almost at his 40s, you're doing 23 Grand Prix and still being on top of your game? He lost a couple of years when he didn't have a good footing in McLaren. He lost championship when he was at Ferrari, but he seems like he's at home at Aston. Straight out of the box, in testing, he was almost topping the charts. Although he mm. didn't narrow in Barcelona but hey this guy if there wasn't any Red Bulls up front he's the guy leaving the championship at the moment well, actually, it's not even a case of Red Bulls. I mean, if Max didn't exist, he would have been, you know, within earshot of actually winning a lot more races as well. Because we've seen drivers like Perez, as good as he is, fumbling lots. And Alonso just doesn't fumble. He seems so happy, right? You listen to his team radio as well. He literally talks about how much he loves his team. On his Instagram posts, he's literally talking about how much he loves his team. What What's making him so happy? Of course, you know, apart from having a competitive car, what what's so different about this environment? Is it just because they're giving him the reins of the whole team? I think Aston is still a small team. They're not like Mercedes. At the time when they started, they, were, they got about 700 staff and now they're 1,500. So you're talking 750 a car. You know, Aston is still a growing team. They're mm -hmm. still finding, letting their seed grow along the years. Never to discount Vettel putting the foundations for the team and Vettel putting his key inputs and Alonso following it through, you see the puzzle being put together. Even Mike Crack, you know, he, with his experience previously with BMW and uh, all the successful programs that he's done, it takes time, but it's already coming to fruition. So I think from where we are now, I think Aston has a good chance to move towards an uphill uh, trajectory. You know, what would have been really interesting is, and obviously this will never happen because Lance Stroll's dad owns the team and owns the brand. I, I see where you're going. <laughs> but if Vettel had stayed on Oof. and they had signed Alonso, wow, it could have been very different. Yeah, I think... That would have been the ultimate dream team. But sometimes having said that, having two titans, True. We've, we've seen it before where failures can happen, cost a lot more money for the team. Um, but having said that, you're right. Having uh, the ultimate dream lineup would have been very cool. 100%. And, and speaking of dream lineups, talking about some of the new dream talents that have, have finally made their way on the grid, we've got Oscar Piastri and the American Sergeant. Logan Sergeant. Up on the grid. I mean, these are two names that have been placed on the F1 grid with a lot of weight. We've seen their performance up, up from karting. I mean, you've seen Sargent dominating in karts as well, all the way up to junior formula, etc. Have they had the kind of debut seasons that they've been looking for? Would you say it's been a little bit disappointing? A bit disappointing, Dan. Piastri was, I mean, he had two teams that were fighting for him, right? Um, he was previously <laughs> in Alpine as a reserve driver. He grew up in Alpine, rising up the ranks. But um, he had a better offer at McLaren, better pay. And he thought it was better start of his career to be in McLaren. But judging from it now, it's not as easy as it seems. And that can tarnish his reputation and his image um, to be in that seat. Mm -hmm. But in Logan Sargent, on the other hand, it's totally different. Um, 
um, we were talking earlier about budgets, you know, sponsorships that comes into the team. Williams being a small team, he's in desperate need of big sponsors. And Logan fits the bill of being an American driver with now new viewerships, more races in the States. He finished fourth last year in FIA Formula 2. He probably fits well commercially. So it's different be- being, you know, two ends of the spectrum. No, for sure. I think I think Sargent's got a lot of longevity behind him, regardless of his performance. I think, as you say, Jazz, uh, a lot of American money, a lot of American viewers coming in. So he's, I think he's going to be there for a while. He'll be fine. Yeah, he'll be, he'll be fine. <laughs> All right, enough about the drivers. Last topic, let's talk about some of the teams. Of course, as we, I was going to say, hit the halfway mark of the season, not quite, I forgot how long this season actually is. One third there. We're, we're a third through <laughs> and there have been a couple of upgrades coming in. Uh, so let's talk about little jumps of performance that we've we've seen in the teams. Let's start with, with Alpine. We were just talking about the sudden jump in performance after Monaco. What are we attributing to that? I think they were on the back foot at every season, starting on the base of the car. They got two good drivers now. Um, they were very sore with the fact Lonzo left. They mm-hmm. wanted that follow through. Both and Piastri, team, actually. And Piastri, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. And also, uh, they had a shunt in Australia amongst teammates. I think Otmar Zafnau has sat both of them down and said look guys like let's get our head together we need to turn this team around and bring in more podiums and points to the team and Monaco shown that that's the target for them Ocon is a proven race winner so is Gasly I don't see the fact that there's anyone leading the team in Alpine I think both are trying their best to drive the team forward I think they leapfrogged uh, McLaren so they're the next best team after the big three it'll be a good progress for them uh, in the coming races I see yeah, yeah let's just uh, let's just hope those two drivers don't crash into each other <laughs> for the, <laughs> the next two thirds. Uh, last team I want to talk about then, Mercedes. Some good bits of performance, struggling in other areas, but then Barcelona, change of side pods and boom. P2, yeah. P3. Was that all down to the technical side or was that just a bit of luck? Do we think they're going to continue being uh, podium contenders for the rest of the season? Yeah, I think, you know, they, they've showed significant growth in, in performance, especially in Barcelona, you know, when they finally decided to put real side pods on. Um, <laughs> I think that being said, with the new side pods, I think the drivers commented like they've they found a lot more downforce in the car, which probably helped with tire dag. You saw their race pace. It was extremely, extremely strong compared to everyone else. Not talking about the ball, they're the next best team in terms of race pace um, no one came close so I think moving forward um, it's going to be very interesting I think they will you know they will find more performance gain and I think it will pressure Red Bull into trying to do better and then we'll see who fumbles and, and makes a mistake yeah and I, uh, I'm hoping for a lot more close racing between Mercedes well I was going to say and uh, the Aston Martin boys but I'm just going to say and Alonso yeah yeah, <laughs> uh, which we'll find out at the next round in Montreal which is on the 16th to the 18th of June, following which you can get our insights on how that race went. So that's the end of our first episode. That's the end of our one-third season roundup. Thank you so much for listening. All of our future episodes are really just going to be wrap-ups of how each race went. So when can you tune in? We'll uh, be publishing these episodes uh, a couple days after every single race weekend. Again, you've got three racing drivers here in the studio, so uh, make sure you stay tuned for all of our behind-the-scenes racing driver inputs. Thank you so much for listening. We will see you next time. I'm Daniel Woodruff. I'm Wei Rontan. I'm Jasmine Jafar. And this was Suited and Booted, the Formula One podcast.